You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to title this message, The Wilderness of the Red Sea. That's an exact line out of this passage that we're going to take a look at. The Wilderness of the Red Sea. And uh, the goal of our time together is some comfort and hope. And uh, who could, who, when are we ever in a, like who could, when is there a time that you just don't need some comfort and some hope? Listen to, I'll begin with two verses um, from Paul out of the same chapter. He says this, especially as we, as we look back at the Old Testament. Paul writes, For everything that was written in the past uh, was written, in, in, from Paul's vantage point, that would be all the Old Testament scriptures, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures, and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. And then Paul says in verse 13 of Romans 15, now, and I say to us like right now, right now, may the God of hope fill us, fill you, with all joy and peace in believing that we may abound in hope by the power of of the Holy Spirit, and especially as we face the inevitable impossibilities awaiting us in the wilderness of our Red Sea seasons of life. They will come, <laughs> both uh, some wilderness wanderings and some Red Sea moments, they, they, they will come. Many of you will shake your head and go, oh yeah, they will come, they have come, they will come. So we're in this passage, this wonderful old passage, uh, classic passage with Israel facing the impossible and the Lord had led them, uh, as the Lord had led them, uh, by way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. Exodus 13, 17, and we'll actually go through uh, chapter 14, but take a look at verse 17, then it came to pass. When Pharaoh had let the people go, that God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near, for God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Then it came to pass. One of my favorite phrases in God's word, it's always filled with, you know, what comes next is going to be so ripe with anticipation and uh, expectation something's coming then it came to pass being freed from Egypt they're now free that God did not lead them by the land of the Philistines although that was near listen to the new living translation when Pharaoh finally let the people go uh, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory even though that was the shortest route to the promised land land Evidently, Archimedes, you know, sort of the shortest route between two points in a straight line is not a biblical truth. <laughs> I mean, the Lord's like, no, we, we aren't going to go from here to there. We're going to go, we're going to take, an, we're going to take another way. And, uh, but notice God thinks, because this kind of warfare, this kind of battle, you're just not ready for. So being that they're not ready for that kind of opposition... <laughs> he has something else in mind. So he leads them along this, an uncharted, unconventional, off the, peaten, off the beaten path, path. One that they would never choose for themselves. You know, um, there are no shortcuts to spiritual maturity, spiritual growth. Uh, the only shortcut I know, and it's not a shortcut, is obedience. And even then, it, 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 we're not promised anything quicker. I remember being a young man, vaguely. And I remember talking to older men in the faith, so desirous 
to grow. I want to grow. I want to mature. And they would look at you like, um, they would look at me like, well, that's good, uh, little fella. But guess what? It, 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 it's going to take you 10 years to go from 20 to 30, and another 10 years to go from 30 to 40, and another 10 years to go from 40 to 50. And what you're going to experience in those years, you, you can't fast forward. It just doesn't work that way. Easy like Sunday morning. It's not a hymn, y'all. It's not, it's not a hymn. It's just not the way that it's meant to be. We got to get that into our deal. So God led the people around by the way of the wilderness of the sea, by the way of the wilderness of the sea. And the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of Egypt. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had placed the children of Israel under Solomon, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here with you. So they took their journey from Sukkoth and encamped in Etham at the edge of the wilderness. So Israel, freshly free, Joseph's bones and toe march. <laughs> they know not really where. Uh, it is like the new believer. It's like the newborn. This is a nation sort of, you know, in a sense, newborn, fresh born. And, and they walk happily away from their bondage, but they don't know where they're going. You know what I mean? They have no idea really where it is that they're headed. They're just happy to be free. Do you remember that? You remember when you were, you're, you're born again, you're like, I, it's, I'm free. Is it, oh, where are you going? I just have no idea. You know, none whatsoever, but I'm happy, and I'm happy to be free. And then something wonderful and divine. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so as to go by day and night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. So we could say in a sense beyond, certainly beyond all of the other spectacular miracles that these people had seen with their eyes back in Egypt, right? Remember the ways in which God manifested his glory. Now Israel is literally and physically God-led. I mean, God as if... They can see his manifest presence, his presence leads, an ever-present cloud by day for shade, a pillar by fire uh, at night for light and warmth. It's just, you know, here they are, in a sense, fresh-born, newborn, uh, in their infancy as a nation, and it's, and it's like, this is so nurturing, we might say, right? So, so tender, he's, he's got them enveloped and surrounded like a mother with an infant, so nurturing, and, uh, and God loved his newborn nation. But listen, he would no plan that the newborn nation would remain in their infancy. Right? If you love the little babies, but we aren't going to leave you in your infancy. That, that's, that wasn't God's plan. And surely, to some degree, it's why we read what we read next in the next verse of chapter 14. Verse 1, now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel that they turn and camp before Pihiroth between Migdal and the sea, opposite Baal-Zephon, you shall camp before it by the sea. If I, if I have the picture clear, for some time now on this holy roundabout way in the wilderness of the Red Sea, God was unmistakably, unmistakable and visibly at the helm. And then in somewhat of a strange turn, God, we could say, at least on some level, sort of gives the reins to Moses and says, now you lead. You lead. Turn, tell them to turn uh, and camp before Pihiroth between Migdal and the sea opposite Belzephon. Like right there, I want, you lead them right there. I want them to be right there. And he tells Moses exactly why. Israel would learn later what God was up to then. And interesting enough, what God was up to then, and this is, this is going to be worth some consideration, though Israel were clearly going to be a part of the process, it really wasn't for Israel. L listen to verse 3. God says to Moses, for Sarah, Sarah, Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they're bewildered by the land. They look lost. Look, look at them. They're not going from here to there. They're, they're sort of wandering about. And look where they put themselves. 
They'll be bewildered, bewildered by the land. The wilderness has closed them in. Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he'll pursue them. I'll gain honor over Pharaoh, over all his army, uh, over all his army, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. That the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord, and they did so. God knew Pharaoh was watching. So he put his beloved and frail Israel in a bit of a pickle. He puts them in this really precarious place. At least it appeared so on all accounts. But one, it looked and it felt. Right now, it, do, it doesn't look like much more than a camp out next to the water. It's pretty. <laughs> Before long, it's going to feel very, very different. It's going to look very different. It's going to feel very different. It's going to feel impossible. It's going to look impossible. Only with God, that's not possible. Thank God, right? Now, if you're, if you're, if, if you're newer to the passage, you think, well, this is interesting. Poor, poor Pharaoh had no choice in the matter. God led him to do something wrong. God moved his heart to do evil. He hardened his heart to do evil. It's God's fault. James, the brother of Jesus, sheds light on this. In the New Testament, he writes, Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then... When desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. Sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. More likely, what we see here is that God worked with the hardness already demonstrated and present within Pharaoh, and then hardened the position that he'd chosen against God and his own. But, but for our purposes, we're told something profoundly comforting if we can back up long enough to consider it. You see, the impossible situation, they don't know it yet, but the impossible situation unfolding for Israel was one that God actually engineered. He created it. He's responsible for it. He's the author, the architect, the designer of it. And for that reason, there is a divine purpose in what they're about to face. And what's true of Israel and her impossible situation, situations, folks, is true of you and me and in ours when they come. Now, it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled, and the Pharaoh, excuse me, the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people. And they said, why have we done this, that we've let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot, took his people with him. Also, he took 600 choice chariots, all the chariots of Egypt with the captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with boldness. <laughs> like most new believers, Israel went out with boldness and joy, but they had no real idea who was after them and no real idea where they were going. Um, Pharaoh naturally realizes his entire labor force vanished overnight, leaving so many so lean. Remember, the children of Israel had plundered all of the Egyptians on their way out. So mustering all he had, he launches with Israel in his sights. Verse 9, so the Egyptians pursued them. All the horses, the chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen, army, and overtook them camping by the sea beside Pihiroth before Baal Zephon. Pharaoh finds Israel exactly where God told Moses to lead them to. Exactly. And uh, which I think unpacks a little bit more of something that we referenced, I referenced just a second ago, and that is the impossible situation that Israel now faces was because, in this case, they were obedient, not because they were disobedient, but they actually went and did what God had asked them to do. They're, this hard spot, this rock in a hard place, is because they actually obeyed God, weren't disobedient. And it is true, isn't it, that impossible situations tend to sift our hearts, which is, can be very healthy, right, to a certain point. But listen, often the impossible thing that we face is simply because we obeyed God. Israel hadn't done anything wrong, you know, to specifically to create what they'd face. And the most sensitive of us when our wilderness and Red Seas come uh, can be unduly undone thinking erroneously that, oh, why this hardship is because of me and we begin to, our hearts are searched and we begin to wrestle with, you know, just what is it in us? And um, in this particular case, there wasn't anything specific on their part. God was doing something different. 
And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, so they were very afraid. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. So outside of the, their sort of, you know, when, when you've been captive for hundreds of years, this generation, entire generation, uh, just the, the sheer mental inferiority of these former slaves, you think, that with that, here they are, here comes Egypt with everything they had. Had they been not slaves, but like seasoned soldiers, this would have struck fear into every heart. Surely an army as large as Egypt's with every advantage of military experience and weaponry, and there, it's, this is, we'll, we'll be crushed. They're petrified, and they cried out to the Lord, which is actually great. But we're going to see that their cries to God gave birth to some complaints to Moses, the guy who led them there after all. We will find, you do know, this particular lot, complaining is a part of the package. So when we say that they didn't do anything specifically, it is true. They're here because they obeyed. Um, <laughs> well, then they said to Moses, they cried to God, <laughs> but then they turned to Mo. Their, their, their eyes up and their tears and their hands up essentially dropped, and now they're looking at Mo. And they say, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Uh, why have you dealt with us so? To bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. <laughs> So much to comment, but for now, notice that the boldness, and Israel went out with boldness. The boldness Israel departed with, departed. He is gone. <laughs> uh, the boldness they left with left, they're completely overcome with the reality, and they're not being overly dramatic. This isn't like, you know, th this, is an, this isn't an, a, an uncalled for temper tantrum. This is like, we, we're in, we are in trouble no way out of this, but God. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid, stand still. See the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you'll see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. Now, an argument could be made that Moses is in sort of a doubly impossible situation. I mean, he isn't immune from what it is that's coming. The sword will slay him too. But on top of what Moses faced in terms of his own mortality, <laughs> he's the guy that God chose to lead these people to this particular place. So with a multitude of I told you so's Mo, just burning old Mo's soul, he responds so calm under pressure. Don't fear, stand still. See the salvation of the Lord, which he'll accomplish for you today. How bold must you be, which he will accomplish for you today. This army, your captors, you see today. By the way, I find it interesting that God did not shield them from, from facing, if you will, the reality of, of, of the situation. He didn't, he didn't protect their eyes from... Uh, how massive and how strong this army. He let them see what was coming. But these you see today, you'll see no more forever. This isn't really your battle. It's the Lord's and Moses knew. Moses knew this. God had told him so. The Lord will fight for you. And this isn't a battle that you could win without him in any case. But you hold your peace, which either means like, shut up, y'all. Sheesh, it's Hebrew. Or, that's not likely, although it would be natural and understandable. It means something precious and elusive. Hold your, maintain, keep your peace near, you know, peace in the face of the impossible is so 
hard to hold on to, isn't it? I mean, it's like trying to, it's like trying to grasp, it's trying, it's as if it's trying to, you know, you're trying to keep hold of something that it it really is, it can be quite elusive. Remember when Jesus said to his men, we studied not so long ago, they're so completely on the fritz because he told them I'm leaving and he said to men with quivering lips and very, very troubled hearts, let not your hearts be troubled. Like, you let not your heart be troubled. You can let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Like, possess your souls. Um, Hold your peace. So Moses calmly speaks words of peace and comfort to an enormous crowd of folks literally fearing for their lives. But then, and maybe for the benefit of every other person that God would call to a position of leadership, he shows us Moses in private. Public Moses. Peace, be still, calm, chill. God's got this. It's not your battle anyway. No problem. Private Moses, verse 15. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? <laughs> He's just like, you know, somewhere behind a tree, you know, on his knees. Wah! You know, I didn't ask for this in the first place. These people. Which beyond the humor. And then he said, tell the children of Israel to go forward. Like the children of Israel. I think the secret of Moses' success is found in that little, why do you cry to me? And there it is. And, and, we, and we aren't told how much time lapses before God says what follows. You know, you wonder how long did it take Moses to get it together? You know, he's sniffling behind the tree. He's an old man too, remember now. And uh, any other dialogue, it, does God have to, you know, come along and come on, buddy. Ever try to get a coach a kid back into the game when he's just completely dejected? He's like, I don't, I don't want to go back in the game. Come on, come on, man. You're gonna get back in the game. No, I mean, come on, you're gonna get back in. No. So we, I'm just, I'm just wondering what kind of interaction happens between Moses and the Lord, and, and then it kind of gets worse. Tell the children of Israel to go forward. <laughs> Which, if I understand it right doesn't mean turn toward the enemy and uh, charge. It actually means a whole lot. It's a whole lot worse than that. Tell them to go forward means (laughs) head towards the sea, all y'all. No, that's not, that's not, no, no. There's no, that doesn't, mm -mm. He says, but... Lift your rod, stretch out your hand over the sea, divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. Impossible. And indeed, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. So I will gain honor over Pharaoh, over all of his army, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. So, so Moses commands the people, go forward, you can only imagine the look on their faces when they when they all they've all got their eyes on their enemy. They're petrified, and he, and and that's not forward. And to the right or left, and they turn around. and They're like, ha yeah, that that'll be, that'll be wonderful. And then, in what may or may not have been comforting, based upon Moses' history and their their previous griping, you know, he he is a man who who. Not that long ago, Moses himself, you know, he was at the helm of all those truly miraculous deeds of the Lord, right? You got, you got uh, his, his uh, miracles and deliverance, and we might say Joseph had his uh, robe of many colors, but Moses had his rod of many miracles, and so he, he lifts his rod in some public fashion. And you have to wonder, if did anybody roll their eyes like, oh gosh, that'll do it, yeah. The old rod in the air trick, just all parts, seas everywhere, all day long, every day. We are in so much trouble. The dude is snapped. We're being led by, uh, can you imagine what it would be like to be led by a really, really old person? 
Can you imagine? Imagine it. It's got to be just terrifying. So, you know, <laughs> we don't know whether he did. We don't, maybe he does. We're not sure. That means a really old dude. He's got a stick in his hand, and now he's got a stick in the air. <laughs> that's when you're going like, he's, he, that's it. It's over. He's done. He's over. It's, heat's gotten to him. No water. Dehydrated. It's, it's bad. Now, Moses knows what Israel didn't at this point, which is the purpose of it all. Their, their uh, present predicament, their fear and their confusion, all the discomfort that they face presently had a purpose. It's interesting. In Egypt, God had already defeated all of, the, all of Egypt's supreme gods. That, that war had already been won, but Egypt still trusted in themselves, right? They still trusted in their army. They still trusted in their king. They still trusted in their military. But when all of Egypt's gods were gone, when all that they trusted in proved to be less than nothing compared to God, God would be honored and God would be exalted in Egypt. And then notice, and the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them. The pillar of cloud went before them. Excuse me. The pillar of cloud uh, went from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. So it was a cloud of darkness, a cloud and darkness to the one. And it gave light by night to the other so that the one did not come near the other all that night. It is interesting to me that God doesn't move until then. I mean, he didn't shield Israel from the fear of facing the impossible. He didn't shield them from seeing their enemy for what it was. Um, but when it was right, and when it was right to God, he moved from before them and positioned himself behind them, between them and what it is that they presently feared the most, their adversary, the enemy. He became their rear guard then in that moment. And when God's our rear guard, we're good. And he is, y'all, God is. He is not, in fact, Psalm 139 says that we're actually hemmed in. There isn't anywhere that we can go from his presence. But back to that idea, Isaiah promised, for the Lord will go before you, the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. As if from heaven, God's like, I got your back. You're covered. And what an interesting picture, the self-same presence, the one presence there, God's manifest presence, was at the very same time to one group of people, cold darkness, blackness, but to another group of people, the very same presence was this wonderful, radiant warmth and pleasing light in the night. Well, then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night. And listen to what the Bible says. God made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. It, it's impossible. The sea into dry ground at the wind of God and the water. I mean, it's, it's, it sounds like a fairy tale, like a line that you would read in a fairy tale. It's impossible, it's oxymoronic, you know, dry land in the sea, paradoxical. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on their right and on their left. <laughs> this, is, this cannot happen. And the Egyptians pursued them and went after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses his chariots, and his horsemen. Now, talk about the impact and the, 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 uh, the adverse effect of a hard heart on the head. I mean, you look on and you want to go, uh, hey, Egypt, you would think, after all that you've seen, you would think that you, listen, they've no... Fear, and not because they're brave. No, they, they, they have no fear whatsoever, and not because they're brave. 
the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Old Prager says, why is there no wisdom in our uh, modern educational system? Because there's no God in our modern educational system. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fool has said in his heart, there's no God. They foolishly follow God's people into the midst of the sea with tsunami force waves on the right, a a wall on the right, a a wall on the left. Verse 24, now it came to pass, there's my phrase again, in the morning watch, that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud, and he troubled the army of the Egyptians, took off their chariot wheels, some trust in horses, some trust in chariots, so that they drove them with difficulty. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. And we want to say to the Egyptians, what about what happened in Egypt did you miss? Oh, now the Lord fights for his people. Yeah, he'd already done that, profoundly so. Pharaoh lost his son. There were were hundreds of thousands of boys that lost their lives that Passover evening. God is always fighting for his people. Just because it look, looks bad, church, doesn't mean he's not there, doesn't care, or isn't at work. Well, then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians on their chariots and on their horsemen And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Then the waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen, and all the army of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them, not so much as one of them remained. And then here's that line again. But the children of Israel had walked on the dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall to them on their right and on their left. It's an allegory. It's impossible. It's just a story. The children of Israel had walked on dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall to them on the right and the left. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt, so the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Now, maybe I'm seeing this the wrong way. Maybe maybe I'm not. But look at verse 31 again. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. After seeing this, after experiencing this, Thus the Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt, so the people feared the Lord, believed the Lord and his servant Moses. See, see, to me, that bit that happened in Egypt happened some time ago. But this here, it appears, helped them see clearly or understand more fully what had happened back there, which is interesting. We'll come back to this. Now, this, their wilderness of the Red Sea just overflows with comfort and hope. And their, theirs, remember, from our opening verse is so that ours will too. A wilderness, there will, be a, there will be some wildernesses and some Red Seas, some impossibilities that await us for sure. So what can we learn for the wilderness and Red Seas that await us. Well, I've got five things here as we close. Number one, sometimes, like this weekend, where I found out at noon that I'd be teaching today, (laughs) God leads us to impossible places where we'll face impossible things. Sometimes God will lead us to impossible places where we'll see impossible things. And remember, and, and sometimes, folks, it isn't because we, it isn't because we sinned. That, and, and there is a time where we can get our, Jonah was the guy who put him in, you know, Jonah's fish was because of his own hard heart, right? God put him in a difficult place. But that, that was because of his own 
sort of running from God. These folks obeyed God. They weren't running from God. They, they went exactly where Moses told them to go, wherever the Lord led. First. Second, and, and not, and this is this is interesting. This is, and this is, I this might be most, I say that there's tons of comfort and hope, but this this isn't super thrilling. But if you look back at the passage, this whole experience really didn't have anything to do with Israel. What did God tell Moses? I want you to put him over there because I want to gain honor over Pharaoh. I want all the Egyptians to know that I'm God. You think, you think God would be done right with the Egyptians? I've already whooped all your gods. I've already set these people free. I've plundered all of y'all. God wasn't finished. And so, this isn't, this isn't unlike Job. You remember that whole story? When this so the, when the dark, when this dark one comes, presents him, he like kind of shows up before the Lord, and what does God say? Hey, devil, have you considered my servant Job? You can imagine Job thinking, oh, "Dude, there's no reason. There's no no. There's no, re- there's no reason for that. I'm just down here doing all righteous stuff. There's no reason. We're doing. Have you considered my servant Job? We uh, you you ever you ever find yourself in the middle of singing a worship song, thinking, "I don't know that I really believe that." Yeah, you ever you ever do that? Like you're singing it out, "I'm yours, Lord, everything I am, everything I'm not, everything I have, it's all yours." And then you're like, "I really don't." You start to bring it down a little bit, like, you know. All your plans are for your glory. Yes, I can know you are good. Not now, now, not now. I don't. It doesn't feel good at all. I don't like this. Remember John 9, the man born blind, and the disciples came and said, um, Hey, uh, who sinned that this man was born blind? All right, nobody. Well, what happened? Well, this happened that God will be glorified. That's when you're like, nah, 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 mm-mm. Oh. Have, have you, and I bet, I know I could, you, you could come up here and you could say, there, ha- there were horrific things that happened in my life. God put me in some impossible places and I faced some impossible things. Things that I, I, I have faith, I would never choose for myself. Never choose for myself. Would never even dream of choosing it for myself. But for all practical purposes, and, and I wasn't there because of disobedience. I was just there. And then he, he comes in the middle of your storm. You come to the other side. And you meet all kinds of people that are there walking into the same kind of storm as you. And you're like, you know what? Mm. That I would have never chosen and didn't see it coming. But man, has it been for so many other, it was for me. I mean, in the end, the children of Israel, they believed the Lord and they saw, they had new revelations open up, but, and they believed Moses. But it really, in the end, the, the whole, the whole moment really didn't have anything to do with them. It was for God's glory and the good of others. And that is uh, not well, let's go to the next point. <laughs> well, I have one more thing to say here. <laughs> and that is well, I just said it. Number two, there's a purpose behind our impossibilities. There's a purpose behind our impossibilities. And, and that alone can make all the difference when you are there at your Red Sea. When, you're in your, when you face your Red Sea, quote-unquote, crossing. That can make all the difference. 
there is a divine purpose for what it is that we face. God, God is at work. Um, number three, God will use people when we face the impossible. Um, you, you may be, you know, it, because this is just this side of heaven, this is life, and uh, you came tonight unexpected. You came tonight thinking you were in here from Rob McCoy. I thought we, I would too, you know. <laughs> and, and then you came, and you, you, you're in the middle of only God knows what. And uh, who's the Moses in your life right now that um, is on the scene? Because God will use people, right? To, isn't it interesting? In something as supernatural as making a C part, he still has a man there that plays this little, he still uses this man with the stick and, and the stick again at the end. He still, here's the commandment. He still, he still has a man on the scene. It's interesting. And then I'd ask this second question. And, and by the way, just, the, he, there, you know, Moses was a bit of a vex to them in that sense, and you're responsible for this, but in the end, he was a real blessing. So those that, if, if there's a Moses in the middle of your mess right now, um, it, watch and see, God may use them in a way, surprising. But then, um, a whole bunch of you have already, you've, you've faced some wildernesses, you've faced some Red Seas, and right now, somebody is coming, some image, some person is showing up in your mind because you're like, yep, I was at a Red Sea, and God used someone in my life so profound at that moment. Um, and maybe, maybe you, maybe right now, it's maybe it's been a decade, maybe it's been two, maybe it's been three, and you you stop and you think, I bet I was difficult for that person, but I don't know that I've ever thanked him. Maybe, maybe it's just a, maybe it's a simple text, even at the end of the service, just hey, you were there for me when I went through what I went through, and I just want you to know. It, it mattered. You were God's provision. Four, and this, this is the one that has me really. Today, so this is today's impossible situation, or the one that's coming, can, I, I put will in the notes, but, but can make yesterday's impossible situation all the more meaningful. If I, if I looked at verse 31 right, thus or then, the children of Israel understood, or as it says here in 14, um, 31, it says, it says, uh, what's going on here? Oh, there it is. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. And it seems that what they saw then what happened that day made what had happened in their past all the more significant. I won't get I won't get super specific. I've, I've, I've been thinking a lot about this, and there are several things that there are several, and you could share this, but I'll, I'll give you one situation from my life. I, some of you have heard me share this from a long time ago, but I can remember. I got saved when I was 22 years old, and I can remember not long after that, um, I'd met Pastor Kenny in college, and he, his life was really just so impactful for mine as someone who knew Christ and walked with Christ. I knew church and hymns and even Bible verses, um, but I didn't know Jesus. He knew Jesus. I didn't know Jesus. So I meet this guy in college who knows Jesus, and his life really impacts mine. And so I come to faith, and we're sort of knit together. Here we are. I don't know, it's a lot of years later. And uh, I, I walked into the uh, uh, stylist, Dari, the other day when she was cutting Kenny's hair. And I've always appreciated Dari's capacity to, to style hair. And as I was watching her cut Kenny's, I thought, you know, now I know what a master you are because it, it is, it's like, um, it, well, it's heavenly because remember, God created something out of nothing. And I thought, there she is working on the very little hair left that he has. And I've known him for a long time. 
And I'm like, she's a master. I mean, she really is a master. And then, and then I'm, 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 I'm about an hour later, and I'm like, hey, whatever you can do to make it look like there's more there, just try to make it look like there's more there. I mean, blow dry it, stick, spit in it, mud, anything, just make it look like there's hair. But anyway, I've known Kenya for a long time, and I can remember maybe not even a year into my journey with the Lord, we, we, were, uh, we were sitting in his backyard talking about here we're 22, two 22-year-olds <laughs> looking, looking at the future with God. And we thought, hey, let's just completely, let's just, like, whatever comes next, let's just commit our lives. And we, and we thought, you know, we'll climb up on the roof because we would be closer to God. I'll never forget. I mean, we sincerely thought 20 feet has got to make some difference. I mean, we're serious. We're serious, God. So we climb up on the roof. I remember like it was yesterday. And the prayer was like, Any, anything you want, anywhere you go, anything you want. We'll go anywhere you want. Do whatever you want, anything you want us to do. We've talked about this before. I can tell you that nothing in our two little brains, nothing in our faith, uh, it was, we were going to win. We were going to do nothing but win. It was going to be miracle after miracle after mountaintop after mountaintop after mountaintop. We, we didn't even know what it, we didn't know a, a bump in the road, let alone a valley. And then, you know, some, some valleys come, some really, really big valleys come. And when the really, really big valleys come and God shows up, not necessarily in the way that we would want to, but still in a, in, a, in a victorious way in the end, <laughs> you look back. Israel was looking back at their salvation. They, they were looking back at the, at the moment that God gave them life and freedom. And after seeing that bit, they appreciated it all the more. When you face the impossible, and in, in some cases when you don't get what you want, but God does show up big, you can look back and go, oh, Jesus. That matters more than than ever. And then, for somebody, I know this is for everybody, but for somebody, th these two words, for somebody in this room, for somebody tonight at four or six, or you'll watch this online, that word that God told Moses is for you. Go forward toward whatever that impossible thing is. Remember, they're, they're somewhere that they would have never chosen for themselves. You don't put yourself in that situation. But God did. God put them there. And when he put them there, instead of Tuck tail and run, he said, go forward. And God, and God is, even with a, an alarm, is telling you. The Lord's like, that is for you. Go forward. Don't, don't go forward. Father, we want to thank you. I thank you that this isn't a book filled with allegorical stories. Our lives aren't allegorical stories. They're real. Metaphorically, yep, a wilderness wandering, a dry place, a circuitous route, a longer, you know, this has taken longer than we thought. 
That's a part of life for sure. Metaphorically, yes, there will be some Red Sea impossibilities. But these are, as Paul said, written in the past, are written for us, that we might have hope. You're the God of all hope. So this was your plan tonight, not mine. And that's thrilling. Encourage us. Fill us with faith, joy, the verse says, joy and hope in believing. Help our unbelief. Lord, and for the one now here, like the children of Israel, all they see is the adversary. All they see is the odds. All they see is the impossibility. Open the eyes of their hearts. Do good to them and do good through them and through us and for your glory and all God's children say, amen, amen. Let's stand together and we'll close in a song. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Frank Ramsour. If you enjoy the message, you can learn more about Pastor Frank's ministry by visiting calvarychat.com. That's calvary, C-H-A-T-T.com.